0: On on Christmas, I mean, he was born in Bethlehem. There was wise men and shepherds, and you begin to kind of think, how can I bring the the lesson, the sermon, the point that we all know. If you're here today, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you know what Easter is. Maybe there could be someone who... Has never really experienced it or know it, but, but I'm guessing here in O'Fallon, Missouri, in St. Charles County, uh, Missouri, in 2019, we kind of know what Easter's all about. I have in my library, and I actually found it because I've got some books in storage and things, don't have all the room. I found this book. Author is J.W.G. Ward. I think I bought it for six bucks, but to me, it's priceless was written in 1937, some 82 years ago. It's called Cameos from Calvary. I got another book that's a, I guess maybe it was a series. I went to a bookstore up in, I think, Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's this incredible bookstore, and it's levels and levels, and it's pretty much all religious books, but the, the deeper you get, the older the books get, and they've got books that are, that are from the 1600s, 1700s, and they cost a lot of money, and I wanted them so bad, Brother Harrow, but I didn't have that money. So when I found this one for $6, to be honest, I bought it just because it was old. Because I wanted an old book. This was back when I was in Bible college. I wanted an old book. So I bought a bunch of them by this author. But I've read it cover to cover. I had to be very careful. The page is very brittle. A couple months ago, I brought another book I have out that was from the 1860s that that I have in my library. And I read that one very, very carefully. But in this book, this, this author he, he likes to break things down. Like I said, he's got another one called Portraits of the Prophets, and he took the prophets, and he gives you a chapter on each prophet. But cameos from Calvary, he takes time. It's Anna Annas, the degenerate, and Caiaphas, the time server, the good man of the house, the owner of the garden, the faces around the fire, Pilate, the irresolute, the wife of Pilate. There's a whole, I, I, I almost preached it tonight, today, but uh, if you'll do a little study on the wife of Pilate, you'll find some powerful things there. Herod, the superficial, Barabbas or Christ, the cross-bearer, the Christ of Calvary, the two malefactors, the crowd about the cross, the officer in command, Mary and her friends, Joseph of Arimathea; and Nicodemus the Sensitive. And when you begin to look, you realize that, and, and, and Sister Harding, Sister Charlotte Harding talked about the Max Lucado, um, uh, whatever it was, devotion that you read. And you, you begin to see that Calvary was a, a, a play that took place, if you will. It, it, it had actors, it had characters, and each one of them have a part. It's one of them so important. From the soldier that looked up there, and said, Surely this is the Son of God. That light bulbs began to go off in his mind. To the, the, the one on the side of Jesus that railed and cussed and cursed. To the other one on the other side that said, Hush. This man did nothing. And then he turns, and in his dying breath, he looks at Jesus and he says, What is there any way that I could, that, that I can be with you? Is there any way that you can help me? And Jesus looks at him because Jesus on the cross is still the most powerful thing you'll ever see. I mean, resurrection hasn't even happened yet, but you're dealing with something far greater. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So how do you preach Easter again? I could have talked about the the tomb and the risen Savior. I could have gone it all down, but earlier, a couple weeks ago, I just began to read and something began to pop in my mind. And as you can tell, here at the Lighthouse, we've been letting God move in a mighty way. And I love it, you can call it revival, you can call it resurrection, you can call it restoration, I don't care what you name it, I just like the fact that God's moving and we realize it's real. It's real, the things that are written and contained within the Bible are absolutely real, healing is real. It's not something you read about in the ancient text and tomes, and, and you got to put on white gloves as you open up pages of a crusty old book and say, Wow, I wish that was for me. Oh, no, today I'm here to tell you the Savior, the healer, is here and he's still moving. We use terms here around the lighthouse and around uh, Pentecost filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's real. God's presence living inside of you. So I want to take your your attention to something that perhaps I've never really talked about on Easter, never even saw it until, or I've seen it, but it didn't didn't click in my mind until a few weeks ago. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 62. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 62. It, It goes, I'm reading from the English Standard Version today, it goes like this. The next day, that is the day after preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said while he was still alive that after three days I will rise. Anybody ever heard that? Jesus really didn't keep it much of a secret. I know there were times they didn't understand and times he couched his words in parables and sometimes in riddles. But I mean you could go back to Matthew chapter 16 verse 21 where Jesus began to show the disciples that he has to go through Jerusalem, suffer many things, be killed and on the third day be raised. It's Matthew chapter 17 where he talked and he said to those that were gathering in Galilee, he said the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, they'll kill him. And he'll be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. On Matthew chapter 20, when he was going to Jerusalem, he takes his 12 disciples aside and on the way he says to them, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They'll condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he'll be raised on the third day. Mark 8 and 31 says some of the same things that he began to teach. The son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, be killed after three days, rise again. The Jews said to him in John chapter 2 and verse 18, the Jews said, what sign are you going to show us for these things? And Jesus answered, you can destroy this temple, but in three days I'll raise it up. And so this had gotten back to the chief priests. This had gotten back to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, maybe even to Pilate and Herod. It had gotten back, and so they gathered there, the chief priests and the Pharisees. They come before Pilate. It's the meeting of the religious leaders and the governmental leaders, and together they say, we remember how this imposter said that he would die and three days be rose again, raised again. They begin to think about how it was all going to play out, and then look at verse 64. They make a request to uh, Pilate. They says, Therefore, would you order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. And they went, they made the tomb secure, they sealed the stone, and they set a guard. You know, just in case, Pilate, these disciples get kind of, they want to keep this, this fraud going. Let's, let's I don't want them to come and steal the body, and then they say, oh, he's risen, and, and then, you know, we're going to have this, this, this cult going on. What are we going to do? Let's make it as secure as we can. If you've been around life long enough, you know there's a lot of imposters out there. It's now become a figment, or, or a, not a figment, but a part of our, our, our vocabulary, drink the Kool-Aid. Anybody know where that comes from? Jim Jones takes out hundreds of people into the, into the, the plains of Africa, and he brought them from, you know, he, he was a fraud, and he brings them out there. And that's nothing new. We've had that all throughout history. We've all had that, people who claim to be the Messiah, people who claim to be able to do this. There's there's constantly uh, uh, miracles, if I could use that word, of of statues that weep and and statues that that bleed blood and then later on find out somebody hollowed the statue out and put some fake thing and they find that it's fraudulent. It's in postures and, and, and people get carried away with that sometimes. People will take it and run with it in Jesus' time, the Pharisees, the chief priests, perhaps even Pilate himself, were a little concerned that this imposter might fool them once again. And so they set a guard, set a guard absolutely scared that the disciples would lie and affect what they're doing. I don't know what hold the disciples had on them. I, I've tried to put myself in their shoes and figure out why in the world 12 ramshackle group of men who came from various walks of life, some of them not very learned, and and why this, this carpenter's son, if I can just put him in human terms, why this carpenter's son, I've tried to put my mind, why were they so scared of someone that they just killed? But I'd like to tell you today that if you think that The disciples could have affected their world when Jesus died and they could go steal the body away and they could fabricate and make up some crazy story, Brother Norm, and and kind of, you know, keep playing that fraudulent thing out. If you were scared of those disciples then, Pilate, you ain't seen nothing yet if it messed you up, that that they could fabricate a story and come up with some grand scheme and and, and they would would hide the body of Jesus and let it decay on the backside of somewhere and they would keep the, the, the fraud alive. You ain't seen nothing yet because the Bible tells me that on the third day, as we like to say, when Sunday dawned and this tomb was broken open by the power of God and light burst forth and the one that had been dead for three days now steps out in the power of resurrected glory. If you think you could keep the disciples bottled up when their, their leader and their uh, uh, king had died, what do you think you're going to do when he steps into their midst and says, Thomas, why don't you put your hands in my my uh, 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 the, the the places where the, the, the nails were. Why don't you thrust your hand in my side? Pilate, you ain't seen nothing yet. It messed them up. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. This is when Jesus had resurrected. I mean, it blew them back. They're laying there in a heap of... Of, of basically as dead people They're unconscious They have no idea hardly what's going on And they come And when they assembled with the elders And they took counsel So you've got these, these men of war That have seen battle They have faced the horrors of war And now they're coming And they're saying we can't explain it All we know is there was lightning and thunder and there was an earthquake and the stone began to roll away from the the tomb and out stepped the one we put in there three days ago. But he looked a little different. He shone in his glory. There were angelic beings all around them and we don't really know what to do with this information. Matthew chapter 28 tells us they gave him a sum of money to the soldiers and they said if anybody asks, tell people, His disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money. They did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. I'm just kind of putting in perspective. Grizzled veterans of war. Ones that probably had... Spear wounds and sword wounds that had healed over and scars on their face from the fights and the battles. Those that were the manliest of all men had to say somewhere, Brother Jonathan, well, I fell asleep guarding the tomb. And when I woke up, 12 ramshackle disciples stole the body away. What you scared of? you you afraid of? What's worrying you? Because you haven't seen anything yet. Because you let a disciple that was a coward at Calvary that couldn't hardly admit that he was with Jesus and Peter who denied and cussed and cursed and ran away. And But you let that same Peter get a glimpse of the one that he watched be put in the tomb. But you let that Peter realize everything that Jesus had told him is now coming to pass. And greater things than these will you do also. You let that Peter sit himself in an upper room like Jesus said let him kneel down and pray for a couple days and let the Holy Ghost come upon him like it did in the book of Acts when it said suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire sat down on each one of them and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and Peter gets up and he says hey this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel in the last days saith the Lord I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Hey, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will. I have to go away, Jesus said, but you're not going to be all alone for I will come again and I will send my spirit in my name and you shall be filled. And after you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost there will be power come on you. If you were afraid of the disciples before, you better shake in your boots world because once they've seen the open Tomb. Once they've seen the risen Savior, the Bible says they turn their world upside down. Imagine, and I, I've used this illustration before if you keep notes, I know I have. Imagine if you will, I told you, let's go start a new religion. It's all a sham. You're going to worship great orange unicorn you can't really see it but it's there but let's 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 keep it a secret let's not tell anybody really and maybe it'll sweep the world and will become important and so we make up a story we put our own doctrine in how the great white unicorn shows up and or or what I say orange purple see I've already forgotten that's how bad it is when you start your own religion Orange. You get the orange unicorn showing up? Let's make it up. And, and maybe, just maybe, I could find one gullible person to join with me. Brother Matt, join with me. All right, you're gullible enough to believe the great orange unicorn. All right? I know it flies in the face of reason. I know it flies in the face of everything. And and you play along, and then uh, the religious rulers get aggravated, and they say, you know what, Matt? Do you believe in the great, white, great orange unicorn? Matt says, absolutely. With all my heart, I believe in the great white, great orange unicorn. All right? We're going to behead you. Uh, <laughs> funny thing. I don't believe in that great orange unicorn anymore. Brother Zane, I know you've said and you've, you've been preaching it all over that you believe in the great orange unicorn. That's awesome. We're going to boil you in oil. That's not real. And then we'll throw you in jail. We'll execute some of the leaders. And, and then we'll persecute everyone that believes. We'll take them and we'll flail the skin off of them. And we'll use it as lampshades like Nero did of the, of the Christians. And, and we'll boil you. We'll cut you in half. We'll pull you apart with horses. We'll throw you to the lions. And, and all of the sudden you'd find that those that believed in the great orange unicorn would say, you know what, this was fun while it lasted but I'm not ready to die for this thing because it's not real. But when you read the book of Acts and you read Fox's book of martyrs, you find that this was not how the early church operated. They gave their lives. They faced lions in the arena. They were burned alive. They refused to uh, recant. They were tortured. They were crucified. They refused to deny their story. Why? Because they had seen the risen Savior. Now, I had it in my notes, but I get so excited to preach, I forgot to do it, so i got to say happy birthday to my wife. She was uh, turned 24 Thursday. 24. Darling, if you live long enough, you're still in the first third of your life. But (laughs) we're getting older. But a little bit before I was born, I was born in 79, a little bit before I was born, some of you may remember 1972 to I think 1976. Scandal embroiled Washington called the Watergate scandal. Well, one place I read says there was at least 12, there were probably more, but one place I read said there were 12 of President Nixon's closest advisors that had conspired to cover up the fact that some of them had broken into the National Democratic committee or whatever, stole some things, and and it was awful. I don't know all of it. But these, this conspiracy that we call Watergate was perpetuated by the closest aides of the president. One of them, his name was Charles Colson. And he has, I think he's passed away now, but later in his life he became a Christian, and he began to link Watergate scandal to Christianity in this sense. He said that these powerful men, these, these 12 powerful men that, that were, were part of this conspiracy to cover up what had happened, they were intensely loyal to the president, but one of them, John Dean, turned state's evidence and testified against Nixon, and this is why John Dean said it. He said, I did it to save my own skin, and he did it two weeks after they informed the president what was going on, two I mean, you know, when we were kids, and, and I don't necessarily, in fact, the Bible talks, you probably ought not be swearing, and I don't mean cussing. I'm talking about swearing oaths, because Bible seems to indicate if you swear an oath and you don't keep it, it's a sin, so you just don't do it. But as little kids, you know, you do the little pinky promise. Blood brothers, any of you ever been blood brothers with anybody? Any of you go back far enough, do something stupid like that? And, uh, you know, I, I promise we won't tell anybody. We won't tell mom. We won't tell dad. This is our secret. This is our pact. We, we've got it. We're not going to tell anybody. Mom gets out the belt in that hard-fought alliance. My brother squeals like a little girl. And I'm sitting there going, seriously, dude? The real cover-up of Watergate, the real lie, could only be held together for two weeks before everybody began to jump. Ship. the fact was is that those that were in part of that those around the president they they were they were facing an embarrassment some of them were facing prison but nobody's life was at stake I know President Nixon had to you know he, he was he, he was uh, uh, impeached and and then he resigned I, I get all of that but nobody's life was out at stake but Charles Colson began to look at that and he began to examine this thing called Christianity, and he said this, and I quote But what about the disciples? Twelve powerless men, peasants, really? who were facing not just embarrassment or political disgrace, but beatings and stonings and execution. And every single one of those disciples insisted to their dying breath that we had seen Jesus' body raised from the dead. Don't you think one of those apostles would have cracked? Don't you think one of those apostles would have recanted before they were beheaded or before they were stoned? Don't you think one of them might would have made a deal with the authorities, but not one did? If you were scared of them before the resurrection, then you need to understand that once they've seen him, there's no stopping him. Those 12 or so Watergate conspirators could not keep a secret for two weeks. But if I could use it this way, you're telling me that 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 plus years or even then that begin to go after that. I find it very interesting. Let me take you to the book of Acts. I love Acts. Acts is the story of the church. And and we're all going to church, and we're all part of church. But if you want to know how church ought to be, you ought to start in the book of Acts. That's where it all started. And I kind of think that's where I want my church to be. I want my church to be found within the pages of the book of Acts. If Peter and Paul were preaching it, I want to preach it. If Peter and Paul were experiencing it, I want to experience it. I want to see it after the day of Pentecost came and and this incredible outpouring of God's spirit was there. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They were walking uh, uh, in, in their communities. And people are, are being converted. It's an amazing thing. There's baptisms happening every day. They walk in. Peter and John walk into the temple one day. And there's a lame man, lame from his mother's womb. And he says, can you, can you give me some alms? He's got a little cardboard sign that says, hey, I need some help. And Peter and John look at him and say, hey, silver and gold, I don't have any right now. But what I do have in the name of Jesus... Rise and walk And that man begin to stand on feet That haven't worked all his life And immediately his feet and his ankle bones receive strength And the Bible says he went leaping and running Through the temple And the Pharisees and the Sadducees And the chief priests got really mad That this man was healed It just, the, the irony, the, the stupidity Kills me I want God to move in my church if somebody walked into my church sick and they're healed in the middle of the service, you're not going to interrupt me by someone saying hallelujah, they're healed. But instead it was their uh, philosophy, the Sadducees, Pharisees and, and priests, it was their philosophy, let's bring Peter and John before the the, 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 you know, the, uh, the the magistrates and let's really figure out what's going on. Maybe we can jail them, maybe we can even kill them, it would be a great thing. Let's just kill them because Jesus is healing. So they begin to preach. John began to talk, Peter began to talk. But in, in the book of, of, of Acts chapter 5, and I want to bring your attention to uh, around verse 27. They had already told Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples, they told them, don't preach, don't talk about this Jesus. Perhaps the story is still being circulated that they stole the body and they had it hidden somewhere verse 27 of Acts chapter 5 when he brought them in and set them before the council the high priest questioned them and saying we've strictly charged you not to teach in this name yet here you are filling Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us and Peter and the apostles said we must obey God rather than men and the god of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree and god exalted him as is right as at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin And we are witnessing these things And so is the Holy Spirit Whom God has given to those who obey him and, and so they're preaching and they're talking And oh man the Sadducees, Pharisees are getting so mad They're enraged, they want to kill him But there's one by the name of Gamaliel A teacher of the law held in honor by all the people And I want you to listen to what he says He stood up And he gave orders, he says Why don't you take Peter and John and the rest of them Take them outside, we need to talk here Just in our, in our little setting." He said, men of Israel, take care with what you're about to do to these men. Because if you remember before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him and he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and it came to nothing. If you'll read some of your Bible history, you'll find that this was kind of a common occurrence With Thaddeus was a person who claimed to be the Messiah. They had been living their whole life saying a Messiah is coming, going to save him. And Thaddeus rose up. He got about 400 people to follow him. But Thaddeus was killed. And everybody scattered. And nobody knows who Thaddeus really is. And after him, verse 37, And after him Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. And he too perished. And all that followed him were scattered. Another one. A Messiah. Someone who came and he got a group of people to follow him. It was a lie and and they believed him. But once he died, everybody scattered, everybody left. But in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone because if this plan or if this undertaking is a man it will fall but if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them and you may be found even opposing God. Let me tell you why Gamaliel is important because sitting at the feet of Gamaliel was a young man named Paul that held on to every word that Gamaliel said and I believe Paul was probably there during this time and maybe Paul had in his lawyer mind a way that he could get Peter and James and John thrown in prison, but something began to resonate in the back of his mind when Gamaliel began to say, I don't know, but this thing might be real. Paul. Breathing out slaughters and threatenings against the church, had in his hand a letter from the chief priest that said he could do anything he wanted to do to these so-called Christians. He could put them in jail, he could bring them to the death chair penalty and, and and allow them to be executed. And he had in his hand, and while he's on the road to Damascus, a light shines from heaven and a voice comes down. It knocks Paul off of his horse and he's blinded, and a voice begins to speak, and it says, Paul, Paul, and and, and Paul says, Who, 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 what's going on? I I don't understand what's happening. This is Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. In the back of Paul's mind, he hears the words of Gamaliel, his mentor. This might be real. This thing that you're fighting against, it might be real. And that Damascus road, that conversion experience on the Damascus road changed Paul. And Paul became one of the most stalwart defenders of the of the Christian faith because he realized this is real I don't know where you are today maybe you've watched today and you've said you know these people are really excited about their god yeah we are I told you a few miracles that have been happening not miracles that have happened you know 50, 60, 80 years ago or 100 years ago or 600 years ago but miracles that are happening right now. But you know it's hard to argue with someone that's seen the resurrected Savior. It's hard to argue with someone that has tasted and seen of His glory. Paul didn't believe the reports but when God got a hold of him he couldn't escape. Why am I so passionate? I've had people tell me, hey, Brandon, why don't you just go get a a real job? Let me tell you why I do what I do. Because as a young kid, I came up to an altar all by myself. I don't even know who all was around me, but I remember beginning to lift my hands and pray. I remember tears rolling down and I remember giving God the greatest praise I knew how to give and repenting of my sins and there at an altar God filled me with the gift of the Holy Ghost and I've never been the same. I went down in the water in Jesus' name and I remember coming out of it and it's hard to describe it but to say my sins have been washed away. You think I was crazy before Christ. You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm here today to tell somebody he's alive. He's real. And everything that he promised in this great book is yours today. Healing, deliverance. He said he'll be your counselor. He said he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll wash them away in the waters of baptism and he'll give you his spirit so that you can have newness of life. It's here. This is what it's all about. It's not coming to a church and and just being together as as a group of people. It's not walking out and saying, I didn't feel anything and I'm unchanged. It's about coming into the presence of God and God wiping every tear from your eye and God helping you in those times of trouble and God leading you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. It's God walking with you in the valley of the shadow of death because He's alive. Would you stand with me today? They thought it was just a farce. They thought it was just a fraud. They thought it was just something that was made up. And they tried their best to squash it. I don't really know why they were so afraid. Unless in the back of their mind they realized it wasn't a fraud at all. It wasn't a a cover up at all. In fact, I kind of like the way God works. Because God has a way of putting things in place so at the end of the day there cannot be a shadow of a doubt in your mind my my dad has been a recipient of healing of cancer we talked about Bridget what God's doing it's kind of hard to argue when the doctor walks up and says I can't explain this here's one MRI that shows it all, and here's another MRI, and it's gone. How how do you do that? And and the doctors have to suddenly admit they don't know everything. So what we're going to do, Chief Priest said, we're going to get our biggest and best warriors. And we're going to put them in front of a tomb that, that... Two people can hardly roll away the door We're going to set a, a, a seal A wax seal on that tomb That if it's broken we'll know And we'll guard it If those disciples had wanted to steal the body There was not one way they could have achieved it But Jesus said Hold on a second in the world there's this meme that says, and you've seen it, you know, Hold my beer. You've seen that? That didn't start with beer. Jesus said a long time ago, but he didn't say beer. He just said here, here hold my grave clothes for just a second. you got them in front of me. You've got everything. How about this? How about we make a definitive proof that the one you put in the tomb is the one that's going to walk out because you can't argue when he knocks them down. You can't argue when the, when the angels show up. He says, hey, hold my grave clothes for a moment. I'm going to walk out in the power of a resurrected Savior. And if you think you could stop the disciples then, you ain't seen nothing yet because he's alive and well in 2019. This church has seen too much to hold it in. This congregation has been recipients of God's power too many times for us to just idly sit by. But instead, world, you haven't seen anything yet. What God's been doing around the lighthouse, He's continuing. But I'm talking to other churches and God's moving there too. I'm talking to other pastors and their presence. And their church, the presence of God is there too. I hope you're ready because God is doing a great work right now. And I don't know what you need today, but as our praise team begins to sing.